We're glad you're here, and I hope you've been tracking with us uh, either as you've been present during our services or if you've been following us online or on the podcast. We've been talking for several weeks about why we do what we do in church, and uh, we have shared everything from baptism to communion to why we use the Bible, uh, why we sing in church, why we uh, collect an offering, and today uh, we're going to talk about something uh, that maybe for some of you is uncomfortable regardless of how long you've been involved in church. And that is why we believe that everybody needs to hear about Jesus. Now, if you are somebody who is a non-Christian and you're not in church much, this may be one of the things about Christians that is offensive to you. And so I recognize that, and uh, you, you may be offended for very good reasons. But we want to talk today about why we do it. We want you to understand why we do it. For those of us who are in church, and for those of us who are Christians and involved in church, this may be a subject that honestly is a source of a lot of guilt for you. Uh, Because you may look at your own life and think, well, I'm not really somebody who is very comfortable sharing my faith or talking about what I believe. And so today we're going to talk as we end the series up, why do we believe everybody needs to hear uh, about Jesus? And I want to start by giving a little bit of world history. If you go back to the first century uh, in the Roman Empire, which is really the, the place where Christianity was born, there were people who were part of the Roman government who were actually known as evangelists. They were messengers of the Roman government who would be sent into cities who had been freed by the Roman uh, army. And the evangelist would be the one who would come in and proclaim to everybody in the city that Caesar is Lord. That would be the phrase, the very phrase, that this messenger, this evangelist would say. They were heralding good news. That's what the word evangelism means. Evangelist means to share good news. So they were coming in with the good news that Rome had come in and taken over their city and Caesar is Lord. That was the idea in the first century. When when the church was being born, as the early disciples were following Jesus, they began to go around and also share good news. But they were sharing different news. Different news, it wasn't that Caesar... Uh, was Lord, but they were proclaiming the news that Jesus was Lord. They were going around proclaiming to people that God had come and through Christ had delivered them from the bondage and the captivity of sin. And so they became known as evangelists, people who were sharing good news. But the t- idea of evangelism was really started in the Roman Empire as a political concept that, that, that this person was coming to proclaim the dominance of the Roman Empire, and Christians just sort of took that idea and took it as their own as they began to share the message of the gospel around the world. Now, one of the people who were very involved in this was a man named Paul. Paul had been very opposed to the church and to the Christian message and had spent the early part of his life actually trying to prevent the message of Jesus from being shared. He had a radical encounter with Jesus himself and went from being one who was trying to persecute the church to being a church planter himself. And he wrote letters to these groups of Christians around the Roman world. He would write them letters. He would go in and and plant churches and encourage the believers in that city. One of the cities where there were a group of believers was in the city of Rome, which of course was the capital of the empire. So these Christians were right in the heart of, of the empire, the strongest empire the world had ever known. And they were sharing the message among themselves that Jesus is Lord, which was a very controversial message. Because 
after all, everyone in the Roman Empire knew that Caesar was Lord. And so when Christians began to say that Jesus is Lord, they didn't just view it as a different philosophy or a different religion. They viewed it as a competition to their hold of authority over the people. And so they began to persecute the early church. They began to persecute Christians. And so we're going to look at a passage today where Paul is writing these Christians who are in the city of Rome in which he is encouraging them to continue to share the good news even though it is putting their lives at great risk. And the reason I think it's important for us to read this today and to understand it is because I think this gives us several reasons why we share the good news. At least three reasons that I can find in the text. And the reasons are just simply this, that we believe it, Jesus commanded it, and love demands it. So let's look at each of these three ideas for why we believe everyone needs to hear the message about Jesus. First of all, we believe it. Look with me at Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, Romans 10, beginning in verse 9. This is Paul's letter to these Christians in the city of Rome. And here's what he says to them. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this passage I think is really important for us who are Christians. uh, But I want to specifically talk to those of you who would say you're not a Christian. Or maybe you're a, a newer Christian and you're uncomfortable with this idea of sharing our faith. You need to understand The main reason we as Christians do this is because we believe it. We believe the message of the gospel. And and for some, this has become an argument that says, well, Christians, Christianity and the Christian belief is an exclusive religion. They're trying to uh, separate themselves out. They're better than other people. They pass judgment on other people. And let let me just be the first to confess. uh, That reputation in many cases has been earned by Christians. But that doesn't mean that it is true to the heart of what the Christian faith teaches. Because at the heart of the Christian faith, it is something that Christians believe. That Christians believe a story that took place. But Paul is talking about belief in two parts. There are two parts of belief. I'm going to give you two words that are good uh, 50 cent words. The first first one is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Or this is right beliefs. Look what Paul says, if you believe in your heart. This is basically the idea of having right beliefs, orthodoxy. Paul is giving the basic message of the gospel. And he is reminding the people of Rome that Christianity is based on historic events. It is not primarily a philosophy. It is primarily a faith that rests on historic activity and historic events. That Christians, as Christians, we believe that God and man were separated because of mankind's sin. That there was no way that man could make his way back to God in our own power. And so God, because he so loved the world, inclusive, sent his, he took on flesh, sent his son, took on flesh, and came and lived among us. 
That he, for 33 years, taught us the ways of God. That he spoke the very words of God. That he modeled what it meant to be fully human in the way that we were intended to live. And that at the end of his life, he willingly sacrificed himself as the payment for the sins of the world. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And what Paul is saying is that it is the belief in the historic events of the gospel message that are essential. It's not primarily a philosophy, but it is about a story. A story that has to be told in order for people to know it. Paul wasn't writing this to non-believers. Paul was writing this story to Christians to remind them that the truth, that they only came to faith because somebody at some point told them the story of God's love and provision through Jesus Christ. And so the first idea is that this is something that we believe. But there's a second part to belief that Paul talks about. And it's really orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. This is right actions. Orthodoxy is believing the right thing. Orthopraxy is putting those beliefs into action. Look what he says. If you confess with your mouth. He's talking about something that you do. It's a belief that you have, but that belief results in some sort of activity. What is he basically saying? He's saying, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar. And not, and this may be more important than Caesar... Not myself. You see, all of us will submit ourselves to somebody's lordship in our life. Everybody. Now, for many, they think that they're submitting themselves to their own leadership. That they're the master of their own fate. That they're the ones who direct their own destiny. But at the end of their life, they quickly realize, and we all come to know, that that's not true. If you've ever walked with somebody through the end of their life, you know that there comes a point in everybody's life where you are no longer in control, no matter how much you've been in control up to that point. And sometimes it's hard to let go. But what Paul is saying is if you believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, then that should result in some behavior, and that behavior begins with a confession or a belief that Jesus is the Lord of my life, that Jesus is Lord. Now, this is also an acknowledgement on the part of believers that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Messiah that God had promised from the beginning of time, back when the the fall of man first took place in Genesis chapter 3, there was a promise that God would restore what had been lost, that that there would come a time, there would come a deliverer. And when we say that when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we are proclaiming that he is the Messiah for whom we've waited. So the first reason that we believe everyone needs to hear about Jesus is because we believe the message of the gospel. That we believe that mankind has been separated from God by our own sin, by our own fallenness, by our own brokenness. We believe that God, out of his infinite love, his universal love, has provided a way for us to be reunited and restored with him. And that if we will just simply accept that gift, it's available to everyone. Look what Paul said. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Anyone who believes. So this idea that Christianity is exclusive couldn't be farther from the truth of what the Bible teaches and what Paul was reminding the Romans. He was saying, hey, you believe this, but you also have to believe that the message was for everyone. It wasn't just for you. It wasn't just for people with skin color who's the same as yours or whose language is the same as yours or whose background is, the sim- is similar to yours, 
or whose socioeconomic status is similar to yours, it is a message that is available for everyone. And we, as believers, we as people who have placed our faith in Jesus, we have come to know that for ourselves. And so the first reason is because we believe it. The second reason is because Jesus commands it. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. Listen to what Paul said. How then can they, this is anybody who doesn't know, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's a pretty logical, reasonable argument. Look at verse 15. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, Paul is actually quoting an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he goes on to say, of peace with God, of salvation through him. Isaiah is saying that anybody who shares that message, that their feet are beautiful. What are feet used for? This is not a trick question. What are feet used for? Yeah, for mobility, right? They're used in order for you to carry the message. They're used in order for you to move from one place to another. And Paul is echoing Isaiah in saying that anybody who moves to share the message goes anywhere that their feet are beautiful. Look what he goes on in verse 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what, what Paul is telling the Romans is that the word of Christ is carried by messengers who are willing to be obedient to the commands of Christ. And what's interesting is if you study the teachings of Jesus, they are bookended. Jesus' ministry begins and ends with a similar, if not same, commandment. Look, look with me, if you will, back at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Jesus begins his ministry as he calls his disciples. Listen to what he says to his disciples. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now, I'm not sure they had any idea what Jesus was talking about. I think they saw this rabbi who was doing some incredible teaching who was performing some incredible, incredible miracles, and they were wanting to hitch their wagon to him. I think that's how it started. And so they began to follow Jesus, maybe not necessarily because they wanted to be fishers of men, but because they were so overwhelmed with Jesus himself, and they began to follow. But listen to what Jesus said at the end of his ministry. After his resurrection, shortly before he ascends back to heaven, he speaks to his disciples, and he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He started his ministry saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He ended his ministry by saying, hey, listen, all authority has been given to me, and I'm telling you, go. Use those feet. Make them beautiful. Go out and carry the message of God's love to everybody who will listen. But don't just leave the message there. Disciple people. Lead them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's not enough just to do a drive-by shooting with the gospel. Jesus didn't say, go make converts, which is why I needed to apologize to some of you in the room. 
Because that was not Jesus' command. His command wasn't for us to go and try to get win somebody, that word even bothers me, win somebody over to prove our point and make us feel good about our own faith and religion. What he did say was that you're to go to all nations. Notice it wasn't just exclusive. Go to all the world. Go to anybody who will listen. Share the message of the gospel and disciple them. And discipleship is more than conversion. Conversion without discipleship is not at all what the gospel is about. The gospel is about walking with somebody. It's one of the reasons at Southside we say that people need, uh, they need uh, tour guides, not travel agents. People to walk with them on the journey of faith, not just people to tell them where to go. The world, I think, is much more attracted to a tour guide, somebody who has walked this road before and will walk beside you. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Let me ask you, who are you serving as a spiritual tour guide for? Who is somebody that you're discipling? See, that's not just my job. That's not just the job of the people on staff or the people that we put into office. It is the responsibility of everybody who says they're a Christian to walk beside and disciple other people. And here's what I know about you because I know it's true about me. That nobody, none of us, come to faith in Christ Because we want to be fishers of men. None of us come to faith in Christ because we want to go on the mission field. Or because we want to uh, answer the Great Commission. That's not why we come to faith in Christ. We come to faith in Christ for entirely selfish reasons, don't we? Come on, let's just admit it, right? I mean, we come to faith primarily for selfish reasons. I mean, for some of you, you may have gone to certain churches and you had a choice between heaven or hell. I'll take heaven, please, right? I mean, that's it. For some of you, that's the whole thing. Like, I just don't want to go to hell, so I better, you know, I better get on board with this Christian thing. What a, I am so sorry. I, I am so sorry if that's what the gospel was presented to you as, that it was reduced to something like that. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the value of being in God's presence. Listen, I'm looking forward to that day more and more every day of my life. But I am just going to tell you that the choice of Jesus is not just about heaven and hell. Because heaven and hell can be a present reality in your life too. Some of you know that. Because some of you are living in one or the other now. You're experiencing it. And Jesus didn't just come to save you for someday in the future. He came to save you now. He came to give you a full and abundant life right now. But when we come to faith, we come for selfish reasons. Maybe for some of you, your marriage was falling apart. You thought, well, we tried everything else. Maybe we should go to church. Maybe there's something about Jesus that might help us out. Or, or maybe you needed God to fix something in your life. Maybe you were facing a financial crisis or a health crisis. I mean, we come to faith in Jesus for primarily selfish reasons. And then what happens is we begin to walk our journey, our spiritual life, and selfishness defines our walk with Christ. Lord, help me. Lord, fix me. Lord, give me. Lord, feed me. And we pray. And and, and is it bad that you should ask God to do those things? No, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. He wants you to ask him for those things. But but I'm just trying to communicate. When we come to faith in Christ for primarily selfish reasons, we also follow Christ for selfish reasons. We came to Jesus for what he could do for us. And so did the disciples. If you go back and you read Matthew chapter 4, what you find is that those disciples had spent all night on the lake fishing. They had caught nothing. They were fishermen by trade. Jesus shows up on the beach and he basically says, hey guys, let's try this again. And they bring in this huge haul of fish 
And all of a sudden, guess, guess what? Jesus got their attention. You see, they began to follow Jesus for selfish reasons too. Those fish were temporary. They started rotting the minute the disciples pulled them out of the water. But the impact of that temporary experience had eternal significance on the lives of those fishermen. You see, we are always concerned with the temporary. We're concerned with our latest health crisis. We're concerned with our latest job crisis. We're concerned with our latest relationship crisis. But even while those things are important, all those things are going to end someday. Think about that. I mean, someday you're not going to be alive anymore. I mean, you can only pray for health for so long, right? I mean, apart from the fact that Jesus just comes back, and I'm ready, he can come today. But apart from the fact Jesus comes back, let me just break it to you. You are going to die. You will. Your body is going to break down and you're going to die. Well, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) I mean, your stuff that you're so concerned about, all the savings, the 401k, all the things that you've tried to, guess what? Someday somebody else is going to have all that stuff. It's going to belong to somebody else. Every relationship you have, every relationship you have is going to end. It's going to end because of some, some breakup in the relationship or one of you is going to die. Here's my point. I'm not trying to be discouraging. <laughs> Believe me or not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be discouraging. But what I am trying to communicate to you and remind myself is that everything in life is temporary. And while it is important, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying they're all going to end someday. And it will only have value in your life between birth and death. And that's a very short period of time compared to eternity. And Jesus is much more interested in your eternal being than he is in your temporary being. That Jesus loves you too much to allow you to be dominated by what is temporary when what he is trying to offer you is eternal. And so when Jesus commanded his disciples, hey, be fishers of men, go into all the world and make disciples, one of the reasons we believe everybody needs to hear about Jesus is because we placed our faith in Jesus, we believe him, and he commanded it. Because he said, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And so... We do it because Jesus commanded it. A third reason we do it is because love demands it. Love demands it. Look at verse 14 and 15 of Romans 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Which is exactly what Jesus did to all of us. He sent us. And so Paul's saying unless we're willing to obey, the results of that, if you backtrack that, you go backwards through those two verses, what you find is, out is, is that there's somebody who may not call on the name of the Lord because I am unwilling or unable to be obedient. And if we are to develop hearts that love everyone always... We have to be committed to not just loving them for a temporary period of time. Be it 20 years, 30 years, 60 years, 80 years. But the love that we are called to have for them is an eternal love. 
A love that says, listen, this is a message of hope that God has, that God has, has shared with us. Somebody shared it with me. I believe it. Jesus commanded me to share it, not just through the Great Commission, but when he said to love your neighbor as yourself. Part of loving your neighbor as yourself is loving them enough to share this good news with them. And the third reason is because love demands it, that I love you too much not to share the message. Some of you may be familiar with the American magician and illusionist, juggler, comedian, musician, inventor, actor, best-selling author, a man who's known for his work with, the, uh, with his fellow musician Teller of Penn and Teller. His name is Penn Gillette. He's also known for his advocacy for atheism, uh, scientific skepticism, libertarianism, and free market capitalism. He is a uh, really remarkable guy. If you ever have a chance to listen to him or hear what he has to say, it's very thought-provoking. One of the videos that he posted is perhaps, I think, one of the best illustrations I can offer for this third point of how love demands that Christians share the message of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to watch this video with me and hear in his own words what he has to say. Remember, this is an atheist talking. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And... Um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist.
but he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I love the organ at the end. Um, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's what Penn Jillette said, an atheist. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? See, if you're here and this has always been something that's troubled you about the Christian faith, I would invite you just to rethink. I, I know there are people who do this with bad motives, but there are a lot of us who do it because we believe it and because we really do love you. For some of you who are here who may think, well, this is just an idea about Christians just thinking they're better than everybody else. No, it's not. We don't think we're better than everybody else. We just recognize the human condition the condition that we all share, a condition of brokenness and need and of helplessness apart from God's intervention in our life through Jesus Christ. And it's made such a difference in our life, we want to share it for you. And I want to sincerely apologize for anybody who's disrespected your faith tradition or your background or what you believe to try to win you over. I really am sorry. And I pray that you're going to experience the same kind of authentic love and faith that Penn Gillette described in that video. That some believer will interact with you who will convince you that not only do they believe it, 
Not only are they doing it because Jesus commanded it, but they're doing it primarily because they love you. For those of you who are Christians here today, let me start off by saying to you, don't be a jerk. (laughs) Just don't be a jerk. You're not helping the cause of the gospel at all if your attitude is one of philosophical dominance or trying to prove that you're right. It shows through. People see it. A lot of people who otherwise have no problems with the message of the gospel have turned their backs on it because of people who have tried to share it in such a way where they've dominated or they've not been thoughtful or careful or loving. Please don't be that way. But I don't think that's most of us. I think, in fact, most of us have just been bullied into silence. And when I say bullied, I don't mean by the world. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to expect the world to do anything different than what the world always does. I'm saying bullied by your own fear. Because you think that somehow people are going to put you in a stereotype or put you in a box. And so you've just become silent about what for you, if it really is the best news you've ever heard, why wouldn't you share it? If you believe it, why wouldn't you share it? If it's changed your life, why wouldn't you share it with somebody else whose life needs to be changed and can be changed with the power of the gospel? Or maybe for you, it's just an issue of love. Do you love enough to share the message? How much do you have to hate somebody not to? Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Share your story. Share the message of the gospel with someone. And you don't have to do it in a, in a profound way. I think much like the guy in the video, simply giving someone a Bible. There are blue Bibles at the end of the pews. Take that Bible, write a message in the front, mark a few verses, give it to somebody you know who's having a hard time. Tell them you're praying for them. Share your story. You don't have to try to win them over with an argument, a religious or a theological argument. Just share with them what Christ has done in your life. They can't argue with that. Just share what, what God has done. Let somebody know that you're praying for them. Embed scripture in your vocabulary. They don't even need to know you're quoting scripture, but learn the word of God so much that when somebody is, is talking to you and they're having a hard time and you don't know what to say, you've got God's word hidden in your heart so you know what response to give based on the truth of his scripture. And they don't even know it needs, they don't even need to know it comes from the Bible. Be intentional. Live out your faith. That's what we're called to do. That's why we believe everybody needs to hear about Jesus. Because we believe that God has demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were sinners, while we were broken, while we were at our worst, Jesus died for us that we could have new life. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray. And we're going to have a time of commitment For some, maybe you would want to come and just pray at these steps. Maybe for you, there's somebody in your family, somebody at work, a friend, a neighbor, that you already know. And if you're you're here and you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about because your heart's already been pounding and it's not because I've been putting on guilt guilt on you, it's because the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You don't have to listen to me, you do have to listen to him. The holidays are a great time to share. The holidays are a great time to share. Be intentional. Last year, I gave some of my family members who are not believers, I gave them copies of a book, and I wrote a letter in the front of the book. 
They've not said a word to me about it, but I pray for them every day. The holidays are a great time to share. Don't miss the opportunity. Just be faithful to what God has called you to do in sharing with somebody that he's put in your path. Maybe you'd want to come forward and pray. For those of you who are here and you would say you're not a Christian, maybe today for the first time you've understood the message, the heart of the gospel. And maybe you'd want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody about what that means. We'd be happy to respond to you either in this time of invitation or on your communication card. You can just write us a note. We'll follow up with you through the week and we'll, we'll get in touch with you and we'd love to sit down and share with you more. Father, thank you so much that you loved us. Thank you, Lord, that you have not called us to win converts, but instead you've invited us to follow you on a journey of redemption in the world. Lord, help us to be consumed with that mission, recognizing everything else is so temporary, and you've called us to a mission that deals with eternity. Father, help your church to be committed to that mission in in ways great and small. But Father, right now I'm praying for some of those small ways the ways that we will fulfill that as we leave here and as your church scatters. I'm praying right now for that man who works in an office and he's working next to somebody who's going through a divorce and he knows, he knows that they need the hope of the message of the gospel. Give that man the courage to share his story. For the woman who knows that she has a sibling, a parent, a child who doesn't know the message, And this holiday, she's struggling with knowing how to share. I pray that you'll open an opportunity and you will give her that opportunity. Lord, I'm praying that you will help us to be firmly rooted in what we believe, to be fully convinced of what Jesus has called us to do and to love everyone enough to be willing to risk that moment of discomfort in order to share the best news the world has ever heard. We pray all this in the powerful, wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.